Today on Blue 58, the Packers added a ton of athleticism in the first round of the NFL draft, but there are some significant question marks here too. Let's break down the Packers' first two selections of the 2019 NFL draft before we look ahead to what's next. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to the powersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, up way past my bedtime. What's the deal, ESPN, ABC, whoever's running this thing now? I thought we were going to try to speed this thing up a couple years ago. You want to have it in prime time or do you want to have a fast draft? Let's start with the complaints right off the bat, I guess. Uh, yeah, it was a long first round. Took a while, four hours. Uh, it took a little bit longer than I thought to get that first pick on the board, but then things started picking up and things went pretty crazy. Thought things worked out pretty well for the Packers early on for them to get a look at a guy that I thought they might be interested in. And then they pick Rashawn Gary. We'll dive into the, the whole pick-by-pick pick situation um, as we get to those guys uh, where they were picked. But let's start kind of with how this played out. The early draft, I think, went pretty much as everybody expected. One through three, not a real big surprise. But then the Raiders come on the clock at number four. And they draft Cleland Farrell. Big surprise. Raiders are going to Raider. And although he probably shouldn't have gone that high, I think I can understand the thought process there. You think, hey, we like this guy. We think he's a great first-round player. And he's probably not going to be around when we get to our next first-round pick. So why not just take him here? Unfortunately, I think there were probably better players on the board for the Raiders at that point. I'm just glad I'm not a Raiders fan. Picks five through eight, things are breaking down pretty well for the Packers, too. You get the wacky Daniel Jones pick up there. Giants fans, I'm sorry for you. Things are not real good right now, and it looks like it may not be good for you for a while. And then uh, the only other real surprise in that stretch is TJ Hawkinson at number eight to Detroit. Not a big surprise. I think a lot of people kind of mocked that pick out. And I know a lot of people loved him. I thought it was pretty good too, but it doesn't just seem like a terribly great value getting a tight end eighth overall. Pick number nine brings the first real disappointment for the Packers. Ed Oliver goes to Buffalo. Probably somewhat of a pipe dream when you're hoping to see him get to 12. Would have loved to see it happen. Would have loved to have that chance. At 10, Devin Bush, no big deal. 11, Jonah Williams, again, not a super big deal. Then the Packers are on the clock at 12. I'm super excited here. Uh, you've got Montez Sweat on the board, the guy I like the best. You've got Brian Burns out there as well. You've got a couple of the higher-end offensive line prospects. But the pick comes through, and it's Rashawn Gary. Uh, I can't really spin it any other way. I was disappointed by the pick. Gary is not a guy I wanted. He was one of two, quote-unquote, wildcard edge types we looked at. Guys that we really didn't fit into other parts of the previews that we did. Cleland Farrell was the other one. And I was just completely out on Rashawn Gary. Extremely decorated coming into college. Has all the athleticism in the world and had almost no production. I know this is a projection. And I know you're taking him for the player that he can be, not for the player that he is. But to me at 12, it seems like you're trying to get more of a sure thing. Seems like you're trying to get a guy who's actually done it at some level. That's not to say that he can't become that player or that he won't ever become that player. We know we've seen former Packers picks who weren't productive in college go on to have great careers. Clay Matthews is a perfect example. He was trades over production too. 
But the Packers didn't take him at 12th overall. They took Rashawn Gary 12th overall. And it just feels like you got to get a little bit more of a sure thing there. But there are some pros to Rashawn Gary. And let's start there, really. And he is just an athlete. He is a phenomenal athlete. When we say Rashawn Gary is athletic, it should always be typed out in all caps. Athletic, capital A through C. Every part of that word is absolutely true for Rashawn Gary. Six foot four, 277 pounds, played in the 280s at times at Michigan, but smoked a 4.58 in the 40 yard dash at the combine, put up a 38 inch vertical, 26 on the bench, a 10 foot broad jump. He can do anything you ask him to do from a pure athleticism standpoint. He's a great athlete, even among other professional athletes. Kenley Platt's relative athletic score, worth checking out, has him as the number three athlete in the entire class. He is the top defender in the entire class, just in terms of pure athleticism. From that standpoint, he might be a steal at 12. From a production standpoint, he might have been perfectly acceptable in like the fourth round. But you're taking the projection, you're not taking the production. And again, as much as I understand that, I just wish he was a little bit more productive. Gary also did a little bit of everything on defense for Michigan. A little bit of work as a stand-up rusher. A little bit of work as a hand-down rusher. A little bit of work as an interior rusher. And I think we'll probably see some of him working inside along with Zadarius Smith on passing downs as almost more of a defensive tackle type. Gary's also fairly young. He's not going to be 22 years old until December. Still has some room to grow here. Not physically grow, but grow into who he is as a professional athlete. But the cons, the cons. A guy as athletic as Rashawn Gary should be more productive at some point, right? A guy that big, that strong, that fast, you'd think you'd have more than three and a half sacks in your final college season. That doesn't seem like that big of an ask to me. He should have spent more time on the other side of the offensive line, the line of scrimmage, whatever. He should have put up more numbers. I don't think that's a crazy galaxy brain take. I don't think it's that big of a stretch to to ask him to be a little bit more productive. If you're really this much better from an athletic standpoint than everybody you're playing against, why aren't you putting up the numbers? Second question, or con, is over injuries. Is he injured or is he not injured? People have been saying for a couple weeks now that he has a shoulder issue that could require surgery after this season. He says that's not the case. He says his shoulder's 110%. Okay, forgive me if I don't necessarily take that as at face value. That's not saying you should take the other reports at face value either. Everybody's got a little bit of skin in this game for, for presenting whatever position that they are. But I'm just not necessarily convinced that we should be looking to take a player's word on it when they say that the injury report that had people raising red flags is completely bunk, especially when you weren't super productive, especially when this shoulder issue apparently lingered all throughout last season. That seems like a red flag to me. And again, this seems like a risky pick for the Packers at 12. It doesn't seem like one where you need to be swinging for the fences. 
not going for the boom or bust type player. I know the safe pick is a little bit of a myth because this whole thing is a crapshoot anyway. So I understand the desire to bet big. And if you're going to bet big, he's a pretty, seems like a worthwhile bet, a guy that athletic. But I'd rather not have you betting at all if it's avoidable. And that's not to say any of the other edge rushing prospects were any less of a gamble. Montez Sweat is up and down in his own right. Brian Burns, the same. But both of them were more productive than Rashawn Gary. And that's hard to get over. I know it's taking the projection, not the production. But it is hard to get over a guy who really wasn't productive at all. The middle of the draft saw people connected to the Packers coming off the board at a fast pace. Christian Wilkins went at 13. Chris Lindstrom, the offensive lineman, comes off the board at 14. Brian Burns at 16. Jeffrey Simmons at 19. And Noah Fant at 21. The Packers are still sitting there at 30, but apparently Baltimore is interested in a safety, so the Packers swap with Seattle for the second time in as many years and hop from 30 to 21 to select Maryland safety Darnell Savage Jr. And apparently it doesn't cost the Packers all that much to make the switch, just the two fourth-round picks that they had, one of whom, one of which, excuse me, was required acquired in the trade for HaHa Clinton Dix. So in short, the Packers traded, in a weird way, if you include Adrian Amos in this, they traded HaHa Clinton Dix for Adrian Amos, and now Darnell Savage Jr. According to, well, I guess it depends on which chart you use, but according to both of the charts I looked at, the Packers either won this trade by a little or won by a lot, depending on which values you look at. Every pick gets a numerical point value, and depending on whose you look at, the Packers either won by a narrow margin or a wide one. It seems like they got good value in this trade. They may also have gotten one of the top safeties in this class, depending on who you ask. They definitely got another crazy athlete. That is the top selling point for Darnell Savage, as we look at some pros and cons here. The athleticism is absolutely a selling point for Darnell Savage Jr. Blazing speed, good agility. He's like Kentrell Bryce, if Kentrell Bryce was a developed football player coming out of college. Reportedly, he's got pretty good cover instincts. Can do some cornerback stuff too. You might see him as a nickelback, a, a slot defender, doing those sorts of things. Versatile, can move all over the defensive backfield, a lot like Rashawn Gary can move all over the defensive line. The cons of Savage are a lot like the guy I just mentioned, Kentrell Bryce, a little bit on the smaller side, 5'10-ish, 198 pounds. And I think we can say the Ron Wolf defensive back guidelines are about as dead as a doornail right now. If there are hangups in the current Packers front office on shorter defensive backs, they're not big hangups because they're drafting short ones at pretty regular rate here. It's also a bit of a con that Darnell Savage may be a little bit too aggressive and in turn sometimes exposes himself a little bit in coverage. I don't know what you would expect from a guy named Savage. It'd be a little bit weird if he wasn't overly aggressive, I guess, but so it is. Finally, he's not as good of a tackler as he probably could be. Aggression and size there kind of come together to hurt him. But again, it seems like the Packers kind of got a good athlete here, a very good athlete, who has the versatility to play wherever they might need him to play in the secondary. Overall, 
I think Brian Gutekunst did what he has shown is sort of his preference. His two biggest preferences among free agent signings and draft picks appear to be twofold. Athleticism and versatility. He's stuck with those two things tonight. Rashawn Gary is an incredible athlete. Darnell Savage is too. And both of them can do multiple things at their chosen positions. Brian Gutekunst also kind of did what I asked. The top priority I had for the Packers coming into this draft was to get another big person. I think your offensive line, your defensive line, and your pass rushers are your most important positions on a football team. You've got to get guys who can block. You've got to get guys who can get after the passer. And you've got to get guys that can just be big bodies up front on defense. He wouldn't have been the big person I would have chosen, but a big guy nonetheless. And if you're going to roll the dice, like I said earlier, I guess you might as well do it with a guy who might be the best athlete on defense in this whole draft. And we have to keep circling back to this. When you talk about athletes, Rashawn Gary is kind of in a unique class. He is athletic even among other professional athletes. And in this defense, Rashawn Gary is going to have a chance to find a role all his own. Everything you read about Mike Pettin circles back to one real thing. It's not so much about the system, it's finding what guys can do for his system. Mike Pettin apparently doesn't run a defense that's all that much less complex than Dom Capers. But Pettin is a great teacher, and Pettin is also very good at slotting guys into roles where they don't have to think about the entire complex defense. A guy like Rashawn Gary might only play 15 or 20 snaps a game, but he's going to know exactly what he has to do on every one of those 15 to 20 snaps. He's going to have a specific role. And the Packers have a bunch of other versatile pieces who can play 15, 20, 25, 35, 40 snaps a game in a variety of roles and always know exactly what they have to do. And in a situation like that, it seems like a tremendous athlete like Rashawn Gary should be able to find something that he can do well. Or, failing that, it seems like somebody like Mike Pettin should be able to find something for him to do. In addition to adding another big person in the draft, Brian Gutekunst also filled what could be one of his biggest needs. Safety was unquestionably a need coming into this draft. The Packers did add a safety this offseason, but it was a safety who does really specific things. Adrian Amos is probably more of a box safety, more of the strong safety type than he is a deep safety. He played a lot of deep safety last year, but that's probably not what he does best. If you can fill that center fielder type role with a guy who's considered pretty good in coverage, who happens to run a 4-3-8 in the 40, that seems pretty okay. But I wonder if you had to go that high. Brian Gutekunst said after the pick that he didn't think this was a particularly deep safety class, and that may be true. But was safety a big enough need that you needed to go 21 overall to fill it? And did you need to spend three picks to do it? I think those are fair questions. We're not going to get the answer on that for some time. But that is the big question mark for me with Darnell Savage. 
So where do the Packers go from here? Well, they were productive in their first day. They got another pass rusher. They filled a need. And they probably only have one significant remaining need. That would be the offensive line. The Packers need somebody who can fill in at guard and tackle or guard and tackle. And there are a lot of good options available. Dalton Risner, Jawan Taylor, and Greg Little for three. And they probably should get one sooner than later. You're probably looking at number 44 for a pick on the offensive line. But there should be some good options available there. Packers may also want to consider a pass catcher here. Things are pretty slow for wide receivers in the first round. Chances are a good one is going to be available there, and it should be a pretty good value. Still available right now are A.J. Brown, Hakeem Butler, and Debo Samuel. We talked about those first two. A.J. Brown would be a phenomenal selection at number 44. Hakeem Butler, maybe a little bit high, but still probably pretty good. Debo Samuel, same thing as A.J. Brown, probably a real good pick at number 44. Even at this point, I haven't been a big fan of him in the past, uh, especially when he was mocked to the Packers at 30 in the first round, but a guy like Paris Campbell. He can run, and the Packers love speed at the wide receiver position. It wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility, I think, for the Packers to look at a receiver in the second round. Finally, I think the Packers should consider a tight end at number 75. They should probably only go with one or the other, wide receiver or tight end, with one of their next two picks. If Especially if they take an offensive lineman at 44, they should probably go tight end or wide receiver at 75. Probably tight end over wide receiver as well. It's really just the value at wide receiver that makes me interested in that position right now. Like I said in our pre-draft preview, the best time to do a preview, I would imagine, Uh, I really think what the Packers have to do here is find the best blocking tight end they can who meets most of their athletic thresholds. I don't even want to put a name on that right now. Jay Sternberger is a guy that we've talked about a couple times in the middle rounds, but given that the Packers don't have a fourth round pick, I'm not really sure. Three might be a little bit high for him, but who knows? Uh, But I do think tight end should be a possibility. Finally, the Packers need to start planning some lottery picks for day number three. After you get through pick 100, through the fourth round, I don't know, about the same, um, things really tail off. And since the Packers don't have any fourth round picks, um, they really are just swinging for the fences, taking shots in the lottery in rounds five through six. But if they come out of these first three rounds with the edge that they've already got, a starting safety, what they've already got, a good offensive lineman, and either a tight end or wide receiver, I think they're in pretty great shape. Rounds five through seven really might not matter at that point. Then it's time to swing for the fences, and you might as well get a little bit weird. Maybe you take a a running back in the fifth round. Darrell Henderson might be there out of Memphis. Tony Pollard from Memphis might be there. Maybe another edge rusher. Maybe you just draft the biggest, strongest offensive line prospect that you can find and try to teach him to play offensive line. Who knows? The world is your oyster. Uh, If the Packers really like who they've got in the first couple picks here, and even if we don't like them, you can see how the Packers have filled out a couple important positions. I think they're in pretty good shape. You may not like the players in particular that they've taken. I probably like Savage more than I like Gary at this point, but you can see the thought process, and the thought process seems to be pretty good. I like where the Packers are at. Uh, If they get an offensive lineman, especially here at 44, I'll like it even more. So 
Love the thought process. I like that you can see Brian Gutekunst's method, and I like his prioritization of athleticism and versatility. That's something that both of those things have really been lacking in Green Bay over the the end of Ted Thompson's tenure. Now we get to see uh, if those prioritizing those things will bear fruit in Green Bay. Was an entertaining first round. You can't say it was boring, uh, even if it was a little bit overly long. Uh, This has been fun, and I hope you enjoy the next couple days of draft coverage as well. We will be back on Monday with a recap of day two and three of the draft. Hope you enjoyed our recap of day one. Keep checking in with us at thepowersweep.com and on social media over the next couple days. I've been your host, John Meerding. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Have fun with the rest of the draft, and we'll see you Monday.